And then there wasn't any need to say the things she thought would be important to say. And everyone sat hushed until someone said, Amen. Thanks be to Tori for introducing me to that beautiful reading. I couldn't remember if we'd already done it a Sunday recently, but if, it, if we did, it's okay, I think. I don't know if you've noticed, I hope you have, but I love that it's part of my job to go to church. Probably a good thing too, right? And I am ever grateful that you come too. You folks on Zoom as well. I was talking earlier this week with someone about the different and varied dimensions of church life. You may have noticed that I'm kind of a church nerd, which is probably a good thing. If you looked at my um, YouTube keeps a record of what you listen to, and there's all this mixture of hymns that I sing along to in the car and choral pieces and then a few University of North Carolina basketball clips sprinkled in there. (laughs) But I was talking with this person about the dimensions of church life and spiritual life and how they are both horizontal and vertical. Don't get freaked out by the horizontal and the vertical. (laughs) The horizontal plane is what we experience usually with companions and in community. It was my wife I was talking to about this, and she said, you know, I think there may be some gender differences. Do you think there are more people who tend towards the female side of the spectrum who care more about the horizontal? And I said, I don't know, but I'd never thought about that before. One of the reasons we need to be in community and in conversation with each other, right? Because it's always expansive when we are in conversation with somebody else. You know that our greeting time is a real horizontal space, as is our candles time, these ways that we are seeing and hearing one another. To say nothing of coffee hour, of course. And the vertical dimension is more about depth and height. It's about being still and entering into the silence. It's about these moments of transcendence, waiting for the presence of the holy, looking in, maybe looking down, also looking up. Like in Psalm 121, which says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the one who made both heaven and earth. And some of us are more inclined toward the horizontal and other of us more inclined toward the vertical. But a healthy and alive spiritual life has a mixture of each, doesn't it? Depth and breadth and height. It's a kind of wholeness that's good for us And isn't it what our world needs more of these days? Last Sunday, I said that Easter doesn't magically wipe away our sadness or loss or grief, but that it does proclaim boldly and persistently that our pain and suffering in this transitory life, that they are not the whole story. 
that death does not get the last word. And I wonder, do you know that Easter isn't over, that it's not behind us, that it's just beginning? Because in the church calendar, Easter isn't a day. It's a season of 50 days, a time to lean into promise and possibility, to inhabit this mystery, to look for little signs of life springing up where it may have seemed there was only death and decay, a time to discover and bear witness to our own resurrection stories, a good time to sing hymns with alleluia in them, which we'll do in a few minutes. Sorry, Neil. We'd like to have your voice, but soon enough. And it is a really good time to bask in the joys of this season, this season of spring, I mean, to bear witness to grass turning green again, or to stand in awe before that subtle green haze that is about to start appearing in the middle of forest. You know what I'm talking about? I notice it always on 495, how the green, it like, it just, it's ephemeral, but it's real. It's a good time to let down your guard and open your heart and as James Taylor sings, shower the people you love with love. So in case you missed it, our worship theme for April is gratitude. Tori and I chose this theme way back in the fall sometime, at this time when the days were getting colder and shorter and winter was just around the corner. And I have to imagine that we must have thought, well, by April, it'll be a good time for gratitude, that we'll probably be feeling pretty good and probably feeling pretty grateful for all kinds of things. And here we are, in the middle of April now. But true gratitude should not be based on conditions like the weather being warm or cold, right? Or whether we feel lucky or not in a given day. It should be a real year-round practice, right? And not dependent on things going well. It's one thing to feel grateful in good times, but what about when times are tough, which happens to all of us? Have you ever heard of David Steindl Rast? He's a Benedictine monk. He's 96 now. He's been called the grandfather of gratitude. If you look him up, you'll, you'll find a lot of wisdom from him. He grew up in Austria when Hitler's army came into control. And as a teenager, he was part of the resistance there, which he says was centered in the church. Not exactly the image we have of the church all the time, right? How about that for an aspiration? Have the resistance centered in the church. He knows from experience that you can't be grateful for everything. He says, you can't be grateful for war in a given situation or violence or sickness, things like that. So the key when people ask, can you be grateful for everything? He says, no, not for everything, but you can be grateful in every moment. What would it look like if we tried to practice this kind of in-the-moment gratitude 
as we move through our days to ask, in what ways am I grateful right now? You could try this while you're waiting at a stoplight thinking, how long, how long? Or while you're wrangling your children. It could be helpful, particularly when you're tired or frustrated, right? To stop and ask, is this a moment when I can practice being grateful? I do hope you know how grateful I am for you all, almost all the time. (laughs) Because you are such grateful and generous people. Do you know this about yourselves? It's something I noticed almost right from the start. Last year, Tori was telling me about a class she had just taken in seminary. And they were talking about the difference between having a critical view of things versus an appreciative view. Some churches, like some families and workplaces, they tend toward the critical. You know what I mean, right? And that, at least for me, would be a hard place in which to thrive. And of course, critique and evaluation are important and necessary if we're ever going to change and grow and get better. But isn't growth more possible when you come from a place and a spirit and an attitude of generosity and gratitude? Because doesn't gratitude lead to a sense of belonging and generosity? This week, those lines from E.E. Cummings kept circling around in my brain from Easter, and I used them a couple of times in gatherings this week. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees for a, and a blue, true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I, who have died, am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and love and wings. So I ask you, what are we going to do with our aliveness? Once we find it, how are we going to spend it? With Easter here, with its invitation to look for and to practice resurrection, with spring here at its call to be awake and alive once again, what now? What are we going to do with these gifts and this calling? Because, you know, gratitude is not something to only bask in, as important and as needed as that kind of Sabbath-keeping is. Gratitude is meant to be shared. It's supposed to be like a springboard into deeper connection and care and service. I heard this echoing in what Tori said before the offering. And I don't know if she was thinking about Robin Wall Kemmerer, the author of Braiding Sweetgrass. But just this week, I read an essay that she wrote in homage to the serviceberry, a native plant that provides sustenance and sweetness to birds and to humans alike. She wrote this essay after spending a day picking and eating those berries alongside, she wrote, cedar waxwings and catbirds and a flash of bluebird iridescence. She writes, this abundance of berries feels like a pure gift from the land, 
I have not earned, paid for, nor labored for them. There is no mathematics of worthiness that reckons I deserve them in any way. And yet, here they are, along with the sun and the air and the birds and the rain, gathering in the towers of cumulo nimbi. You could call them natural resources or ecosystem services, but the robins and I know them as gifts. We both sing gratitude with our mouths full. We sing gratitude with our mouths full. I wonder if you can remember a time when you received and enjoyed a gift that you didn't make or earn. Something that just came to you as pure gift. Maybe it was something like sweet berries offered to you by a neighbor. Maybe it came in a time of struggle or pain. A hand reached out to you in kindness. A cup of water when you were parched. Whatever the gift, didn't it bring you into a deeper communion with its source and with life itself? Wasn't it an experience of both the horizontal and the vertical converging, the earthy and the holy all mushed up into something sweet and life-giving? Will you take just a minute and let the silence open up your heart and see if something comes to mind where you can remember something like that, that unasked for, unbidden gift that felt so welcome. And if you feel inclined to say it out loud, as silently or loud as you wish, please do so. Amen. In these days, don't we need some sweetness and some sustenance in order to have some love and courage to take with us out into the world? Robin Wall Kimmerer says, gratitude is so much more than a polite thank you. It is the thread that connects us in a deep relationship simultaneously physical and spiritual, as our bodies are fed and spirits nourished by the sense of belonging, which is the most vital of all foods. If our first response is gratitude, she writes, then our second is reciprocity, to give a gift in return. If our first response is gratitude, then the second is reciprocity, to give a gift in return. And we each have gifts, don't we? Do you remember that line from theologian Rebecca Parker? What will you do with your gifts? And her answer, 
choose to bless the world. In three weeks, we'll be celebrating the 200th anniversary of the founding of this Universalist congregation. And before long, our accessibility and renovation project will be completed. And our work recently this year in transgender inclusion and these efforts we've started called the Way of Belonging and the Ministry of Arts, these are all now at inflection points. The time is ripe for us to be asking, what now? What lies ahead? What are we going to do with our gifts? Kimmerer would say, give a gift in return. Parker would say, choose to bless the world. The question is, what are you going to say? And what are you going to do? What are we going to do in these days to help heal and bless our world? The answer, my spiritual companions, is up to you. It's been, as the Beatles sang, a long, long, lonely winter, right? And I'm not just talking about the last few months. We've been through some years of challenge, holding on and doing what we can to assuage our fears and the hurt and the loneliness. And can we just say we have done that very well? But what now? Now that we are here in this moment of promise and potential, what do you intend to do? How are you going to spend this one life that you have been given? How are we as a faith community going to walk our talk? All around us there are these reminders, aren't they? That we are only temporary stewards here. That our days are numbered. And the invitation and call from this knowledge is to be faithful, to live our lives with intention and energy and courage, so that while we are here, we will do our part to help heal and bless and transform our world and to sing Alleluia as we go. Amen.